Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Mercy is the mark of a great man. Oh. Oh. Guess I'm just a good man. Oh. Well, I'm all right. You are not Captain Kirk. You do not belong in charge of the Enterprise and I shall do everything in my power against you. You know what the chain of command is? It's a chain I go get and beat you with till you understand who's in command here. Frequently appalled by the low regard you Earthmen have for life. Welcome to this very special episode of SFP Now. Um, so special, in fact, that we don't really have much time for news, so we're not going to be doing any news or, or conversation topics this week with uh, with Ty or Patrick. Um, what we're going to do instead, we're just going to run two interviews. Um, I'm going to run them both back-to-back. Um, we have interviews for you with Farin Taha, who's going to be talking about his new movie, Elysium, as well as um, his various roles um, in, in things such as Warehouse 13. Um, and he, he also touches on, on his role um, in, in the uh, 2009 Star Trek movie. And we also have um, James Herf, producer James Herf on, along with uh, his creative partner, Doug Stark, um, who are going to talk to us about um, a, a web series, um, a web, an exciting web project that they started up uh, called Shining City. Uh, so without further ado, we're just going to go straight into the interview. And uh, first up is Farin Taha. Welcome. Ah, oh, hello, madam. And I'd like to welcome uh, Farin Tahar to the show, who's um, who's been in a lot of TV shows and movies that we all are science fiction fans and, and general fans of television and, and movies actually love. Hi, Farin. How are you doing today? I'm doing very well, Ian. Thank you so much for having me on your show. Oh, you're very welcome. I've been absolutely looking forward to uh, having you on. It's, um, you know, you, 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 you're one of my uh, one of my favourite actors to, to have broken through in recent years. So. Oh, thank you. I appreciate you saying that. Okay. Well, you know, the first question I've got, and, you know, and because you've got a rather interesting background, and I'm, I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got, in, got, got into the acting book, because I believe you were raised in the theatre. I was, yes. My, um, we are actually three generations in art and literature. Uh, my grandparents were uh, playwrights and screenwriters and actors. So my parents, uh, my father 
actually was trained at UCLA and then at Royal Academy of Dramatic Arts in, in England. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I have been in this business. My younger brother is, is also directing and acting. So yeah, it's, it's, it's part of our DNA. Uh, we do this, uh, but we don't do it just as a dream. We are very uh, methodical about it and want to make sure that as we go along, uh, that we try to uh, obtain the right tools and have a bit of realism about it because sometimes this business can be quite crazy and uh, you do need to know how to deal with your with your uh, well your failures and your success uh, both. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's been an interesting journey uh, this entire time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I tried um, I tried the acting thing myself. Um, you know, I, I studied at Abraham Moss in Manchester for a while, ah, which okay. was wasn't a university. It was sort of like college. I did the uh, BTEC National and BTEC First Diploma in Performing Arts, um, mm. and I, I did rather a lot of musical theatre, but I, mm. I kind of like drifted away. Well, I'm envious because uh, that's one thing that that has eluded me—the whole singing thing. You know, I can I can carry a note, but not good enough to be to be you know categorized as, as a singer. <laughs> so I'm envious that you could do that. It's it's rather strange actually because I, I I never really rated myself as a singer, but everyone on the course, a lot of people on mm. the course that I was doing at the time, seem seem to rate me as a singer, including one of the singing teachers. Because I, I I've got. I've, I had at the time because I've not sang in about fifteen years. But at the time, I had a I had a register where I could actually uh, crisscross across four octaves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you know, it was, um, it was it was pretty funny. I mean, the range of stuff that I did in theatre was you know Brett, uh, Bertolt right. Brett, a uh, few Edward Bond plays. We did the uh, we did a Clockwork Orange uh, by Anthony oh, Burgess. Wow. Wow. Um, did a little bit of Shakespeare. Good. But, Good. But the I think any, anybody worth his or her salt must try their hand at church, or at least understand it, or at least be able to, you know, uh, uh, to tackle it or handle it, or at least try it. I think it's 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 a great well, it's one of the best, uh, you know, uh, you can do. Mm-hmm. So. Well, my, my experiences in theatre it kind of gave me an appreciation of the written word. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm, you know. Yeah, I mean that's that's my training. Uh, I got my undergraduate, did my undergraduate work at Berkeley uh, with theater as, as a very big part of it. And then I got my graduate training at Harvard in theater. Uh, so theater is very, uh, it's, it's been where my soul has always lived. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in regards to your television work, you've done, you've done, a, you've done a hang of a lot. I mean, you've been in, you know, you've been in a show called Jag, which um, is a show I absolutely adored. It's one of uh-huh. 24. Um, yes. I remember you in 24, actually, because you were sort of like one of the main villains. Yes, yeah, um, one season. So, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Uh, and to be able to do something like that, which is where the setup is, you know, you're working, you know, kind of real-time 24 hours, uh, it does it does create uh, a quite quite a different kind of energy and a different kind of approach to uh, to the material. It was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot, lot of intensity to it as well, I bet. Yes. Um, but a recent a recent part for you has been uh, that of uh, Frank Frank Ashkani 
um, in in the series Dangus. Uh, you, you kind of played the adopted son of Kenneth Barnes. Um, I'm just wondering, uh, how did you find acting on that show? Because that series, it has such a, a legendary status, and you know, and all the actors, and obviously the recent death of uh, Larry Hagman last year as well. I mean, yeah, you know, it's it's it was it was an amazing experience because yeah, we were doing a reboot, uh, but everybody came with such a wonderful energy to make this uh, this series work. And I think the series creators were smart enough not to recast um, the series, but to make it as a continuation of the saga, uh, which created this really amazing dynamic on set and off set, uh, drawing from the experience of the, the older cast who had done this. And as we know, and it's time, it was a phenomenon. Um, and to then take it to the next level, to the next step, uh, it, it became quite quite a remarkable experience for me. Um, I still remember having a, a dinner with Larry Hagman, I think about three or four weeks before uh, he died. And the kind of energy and the kind of accessibility and the kind of positivity that he had uh, was, was not only contagious, it was inspiring because uh, I remember him saying to me that, you know, they will have to take me out I will, I will be on a gurney uh, doing this show if they will let me. Uh, and it was that kind of dedication that kind of rubbed off on everybody. Uh, it was, an amazing, it was an, an amazing experience, and I think it was very well done, very well written. Uh, and I, I hope that the, the, the series continues, even though uh, Larry is gone. Uh, but I think I think it has it has a lot to offer as a season. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I I remember watching the, the the original run back in the eighties, and I got in with the new run pretty early on, and um, I thought, yeah, I'm liking this. I'm kind of digging it. Um, yeah, so <laughs> I, I'm in the same I'm in the same boat. I, I I hope they do get to continue on for a few years. Yeah, yeah. Let's hope. Let's let's mm-hmm. keep our fingers crossed. And another show you've been been in recently is Warehouse Thirteen. Uh, you know. And I've actually I've actually spoken to Eddie McIntock and and um, and a few of the people from from that series on on various conference calls, and they they sound like uh, you know they sound like they they make it sound like they have such fun working on that show. And just wondering um, how have you found working with that cast? Because you play a very serious guardian role, don't you? You wanted the uh, yeah yeah. yeah. Uh, it's it's one of those it's one of those sets. I remember uh, this is my. Uh, since I have a recurring role, this is my third season on it. And from the day I got on the set, uh, or uh, got out, got out of the car uh, to go shoot it, there is such a great a feeling of family there, uh, from the producers to the directors uh, to the actors to the crew, uh, that you you just feel at home. And I I'm hoping that. Those friendships we can continue. Uh, I think this is going to be our last season coming up, mm-hmm. uh, but I hope that we all can can stay in touch because we've had as much fun on the set as we have had off the set. Uh, it's I look forward to every time I have a, an episode to shoot because it it just it it kind of it gives it reconfirms my belief that you know you can you can go away and still come back as a family. Uh, and the premise of the show is, uh, is, is so interesting. It gives you 
great freedom to work with periods, with, with, with literature, with history, that all around it becomes a, a, a very, you know, fulfilling experience. Mm-hmm. There's, there's also been a lot going on this past season with the, you know, we saw Rubinitz's character as well. I mean, you know, yeah, yeah, he's, yeah. he's, he's been dealing <laughs> with all that deal. Uh, you know, uh, it's, it's fun. It's a lot of fun. Mm. Well, you've got two movies coming out soon. Um, you've got Elysium and Escape Plan coming up. Uh, first off, um, I'd like to uh, ask you about Elysium because <laughs> from what I'm reading, you, you have a pretty important role in that film in that you, you, are, you are the president or a president. And also from what I've read, it seems that your character is having to make some very, very difficult moral choices. Uh, could you perhaps tell us a little bit about the film and your character's... Uh, interactions. Well, first of all, I think the 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 script is very intelligent uh, because it, most of the characters uh, work in different shades of gray. There are a few characters which are black and white, the good and evil, but most of the characters are are somewhere in between. They're layered. Uh, each character can can present his or her argument. And whether you subscribe to that particular argument or not, you can see that it is a valid argument, uh, which makes it very interesting as an as an actor to play that, because there is, you're not you're not working with this idea of I, this guy is bad or good. You're just presenting them as real, uh, and that's who we are in real life. Uh, we are we are many people in many kinds, and we can have we can hold on to our beliefs. And you see that in the script, and you see that in the story how it unfolds. Um, the story being about this space station, which is utopian, where everything good happens, uh, but it's also an elitist colony. Uh, people who do the grunge work who live on Earth are not allowed to be part of that, although all the blood and sweat uh, is, you know, is, is being extended here on Earth. Uh, so you see that dynamic between these, these people. My character is, uh, is, since he is the politician, he's a diplomat, he is the guy who needs to make sure that he walks that fine line uh, between the two, uh, because he needs to keep both sides happy, uh, the, the, the people on, on Elysium and people on Earth. Uh, he is therefore given this, this very difficult role to, to somehow or the other find that, that, that bridge between the two, which is not the case with my, you know, Jodie Foster, who plays uh, my defense secretary, has a complete, completely different approach to these crises. Uh, so it's, it's an interesting dynamic that, that you're playing with. Mm-hmm. So, is, amongst your scenes with with Jodie Foster, do you have any scenes with Matt Damon? Uh, very briefly, uh, because we are the people who live up on Elysium. Um, uh, Matt Damon's character is on Earth. Uh, so you see these two realities kind of clashing uh, with each other. Um, so my my uh, contact or connection with, with Matt Damon's character is, is minimal. Mm-hmm. Because, uh, you know, as I watched the trailer and it looks like a brilliant film. Um, it's sort of like... Uh, I'm, I'm kind of like thinking, should I go see Superman or should I wait for Elysium? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, I, mean, I think I, Neil, uh, the director, is, is very smart. And uh, if you remember his last movie, District 9, mm-hmm. uh, it was a brilliant uh, piece because it took an issue of today. And he put this twist of science fiction on it. Uh, the whole racism, you know, colonization, all of that. Uh, apartheid. He kind of dealt with all of that, um, but he didn't remove it so far into the fictional land 
that you stop having a connection with these people. He does the same thing in, in Elysium. Uh, it, it deals with, with the elitism, the, uh, you know, the, the immigration issue. It deals with all of that. It, he just sets it apart enough that you can give it, you can, you can analyze it, uh, but you're not so far removed from it that you don't care about these characters. Uh, so it, it, it's an interesting, it's, it's an in- interesting approach to current, current affairs. Mm-hmm. Um, and he does it brilliantly. Uh, we shot the movie, I think it was fall of 2011. And he is not going to put out uh, a product unless and until he thinks it's ready. Uh, so he's taken his time, uh, created the, the reality of it. Uh, and worked all the nuances of it. So I think it's going to be quite an exciting movie when it comes out, and I think uh, the audiences are going to love it. Mm. Well, you know, I loved I loved what I did with District 9. You know, I thought that was a fantastic film. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Um, can't wait to see this one as well. Um, the second film you have uh, coming out this year is um, Escape Plan, which, you know, is pretty big because it's so like it's uh, both Sylvester Stallone and Arnold Schwarzenegger starring. Um um, how, how was it for you actually working with two of two of the cinema's uh, biggest action stars of, of the last few decades? Uh, what and what kind of character do you play in the film? Is it are you a bad guy in that one? Well, you see, look. I mean, first of all, I think it is such an amazing uh, opportunity to work with these two icons who understand and are the biggest icons in, in the action genre. Uh, these guys really know what they're doing. Uh, so it's actually uh, from from a very humble point of view, from from an, as an actor student, you all you know you have to approach it from that point and learn from 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 what they have to offer. So that was amazing. Uh, the movie in itself, uh, the three of us uh, plan and escape from this this uh, prison together. Um, uh, am I a bad guy? You know, we're all in, in prison, so we're not there because we get good deeds in life. <laughs> uh, just uh, so misunderstood. There, so there is that, there is that, that uh, added twist to it. Um, my character is complex because uh, those two have a bond and they need this third person uh, to make it work. Uh, do we come uh, together as, as great friends from the beginning? No. I think there is friction between these characters, which adds to the, uh, I think, to the energy, to the dynamics of, of, of the story. Uh, how people who might not be great friends, when they're put in a situation where they're working for a common goal, they will find their bridges and they will find ways to work together. So it does create that, that really kind of wonderful energy between the characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's uh, what 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 I find uh, incredible is you got Sylvester Stallone and Arnold Schwarzenegger working together in a whole film because I know they've done it before with the uh, with 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 the other series of movies that that have come out recently, but you know, they they've sort it's usually been sort of like quick work on scenes. So yeah, they have they have they have talked and have wanted to work together for decades now, and. Just life or commitments, uh, somehow or the other didn't let it happen. And this movie came about, and the characters really fit them well. And they took, their, took this chance. Uh, they had done Expendables and stuff and had done like shared scenes, but they had never uh, shared uh, the screen for an entire movie together. So you see that. And there is, there is respect and, and competition between the two uh, that is so endearing in a way. Uh, and they, they do bring out the best in each other. And to be a part of that and to be able to work with them and lock eyes 
and 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 you know and and uh, try to create something that has vitality and energy was 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 a great experience. <laughs> well, you know, um, m- moving on to uh, another film you did, and uh, this this is a few years back now. Um, but as a Star Trek fan. And as someone ah. who really enjoyed the 2009 reboot, in which you were were a brief part of, uh, first off, I, I have to ask if you if you you know how you felt about working on that, and and um, and how you dealt with all the fan expectation. But also, uh, what I'd, I'd like to ask is, did you actually have any sort of like background for your character of Captain Captain Robu? Yeah, well, you know, uh, well, to, to be honest, you know, I was a bit of a trekkie myself. So to have that opportunity to work on it, and I've always said this, I think the first day I got on the set, uh, that the 10-year-old boy, that 8-year-old boy came out of me because all of a sudden you're on the deck of, uh, of the starship uh, and you're in awe uh, because uh, all your life you've kind of seen these, these you know, uh, this, this entire Star Trek saga unfold in front of you on screen and then you become a part of it. Um, the great thing was that J.J. Uh, Abrams, uh, who directed it, puts so much trust in you to bring and create a history for this, for, for your character. Uh, he is one of those people who knows exactly what he wants, but he will let you get there organically. Um, he, he is not someone who's going to shove a character or a silhouette or, uh, you know, a, a, a take on, on, on a character down your throat. He will let you get there. So we worked, I was given the freedom uh, to find that history of this character, uh, find the um, whatever connected me to this guy. So, you know, so it, it became a very fulfilling experience, although, uh, you know, uh, the character is in the beginning, but it does set up, uh, that whole sequence does set up the, the entire movie that was about to come. And that was uh, JJ's thing that I, I want you to play it from the heart uh, out, uh, find the connection, make it real, because if you make it real, uh, it will set up the movie and it will also bring the audience, uh, it gives them the permission that they give themselves uh, to come on a journey uh, mm-hmm. of, of this new, you know, this new look at this saga, uh, at this pop culture saga, Star Trek. Yeah, I was kind of sorry to see your captain written out so soon. I kind of liked him, you know, because, you know, from the moment I've seen you on the screen, you just seem very much in command. Yeah, you know, the way I look at it, yeah, of course, you know, who wouldn't want to have more time? But I think when you, when you play it, you realize that it takes nothing away from the history that you're giving this character. Uh, you know, you, you join the characters at a certain point in their life or, or whatever, but in order to have you join their uh, you have to make it believable enough that they have had a history, uh, that they're not some thin cardboard cutouts, uh, that they that they come to you with um, with a lot of depth, and and that's that's the exciting part. Yeah, you know, uh, it would have been fun to have had you know more to do, but you know, it is it is what it is. It's it's how you tell a story. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm kind of hoping that you know the people, you know, I'm not sure if it's pocketbooks anymore or do it, but I'm kind of hoping you know some of these uh, Star Trek novelists or like pick up on your character and uh, do a story of of your character and and his adventures with George Kirk at some point. Because I think that would be. I mean, you know, look. I mean, there have been all these reiterations and 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 uh, you know stories that have come out. They've done even television series. You know. Uh, Voyager, and, and, you know, we've gone back and forth and sideways in this 
in this saga. So who knows? Who knows what mm-hmm. uh, you know? What's uh, yet to come? If something like that comes, I will jump on it because I I would love to to explore more and see what we can offer uh, as as a character and as storylines. I think it would it could be quite exciting. Mm-hmm. I think you I think you've actually I think you've also you know correct me if I'm wrong here, but have you also you've also done a few Bollywood films as well, right? Well, I, I have, I have uh, in South Asia, I have done television and stuff. Uh, it's, it's not for a long time. I just did a uh, mini-series, which played in South Asia. Uh, I was quite well-received, finished uh, in, I think, in, in, in March. So, yeah, so I, do, I do try to keep a foot in that door. Mm-hmm. So it's something I've been kind of uh, wanting to ask, ask you, um, you know, because you've kind of got that connection there, um, is, you know, we've had a few films films in recent years which have kind of like uh, bridged the gap you know bridged the uh, bridged the cultural gap between between Bollywood and Western films and you know we had the you know Bride and Prejudice a few years back and and of course on on a more so like dramatic note albeit a night dramatic note we had Bendit Knight Beckham and I'm just wondering if we're likely to see any more films you know live in the future because I, I, I kind of enjoy them and yeah I- I, I really hope so because I think I think uh, you know it's there's some really interesting stories and storylines and 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 a lot of great literature which is untapped from that part of the world which I think would be would be quite exciting to to introduce uh, to this part of the world uh, because uh, so far it's been the other way around. Uh, there's the the literature from this part of the world is accepted uh, there, but I think. We are now living in a more global uh, society life where I think uh, information is being exchanged back and forth. So I'm hoping that we can, we can bridge that gap even more. Uh, it'll give us better understanding of people just in general. Uh, so let's hope, and uh, hopefully I can be part of some of it. So. Yeah, I'll, I'll keep my fingers crossed there. I mean, I mean, you know, while, while staying on topic for a little while of, of Bollywood, um, I actually read a while back that they they, they were at that. You know, and this was about two or three years back that they were actually looking at doing a version of Back to the Future. I'm just wondering if we, you know, if we could maybe see Bollywood versions of things such as Planet of the Apes. Um, or, or, or maybe some stuff that's inspired by Star Wars um, coming up in the future. Yeah, you know, I, I think I think it would be interesting because I think it's uh, you know, look, it's, it's you know, we talked about Shakespeare, and, and the great thing about Shakespeare is that you can set it in different times, different areas, and it still rings true because the stories are universal, the stakes are high enough, and I think it would be interesting to see uh, when we take you know from Alexander the Eighth or, or, or whatever and set it someplace else if the, the true the true test of a classic is that it should be it should be it should work no matter what setting you put it in as long as you do it well so it would be interesting when, when we start to play around with those things uh, uh, it, could, it could be quite exciting mm-hmm. yeah I mean it's, it's just so like it, it kind of got me to thinking the other day because, you know because I I, I, uh, I actually I, I actually watched an interview um, of you uh, with, with somebody, and and I think she was talking to you from 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 more of a more of a Bonnie, Bollywood angle sort okay. of thing, okay. um, and it kind of got me to think. And then I remembered that Back to the Future, uh, you know, story that that we ran a few years back about um, a Bollywood studio looking at doing that. And then I thought, hmm, <laughs> you know, there's got to be there's got to be a sort of like a, some some something more has got to come of this. Yeah, because I 
because I mean, look, I mean, we have done it here. I mean, you know, uh, we and we've done it in, uh, many times. Like Seven Samurai was turned into what uh, uh, you know, Magnificent Seven, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so there, there have there has been this this kind of uh, fresh look from uh, from other parts of the world of of stories from uh, say you know uh, from other from different parts of the world. So I think I think that kind of that kind of back and forth is very exciting, very dynamic. Uh, the more we do it, the more we realize that you know we are in the end we are humans, human beings, and there is a common denominator, uh, and you can put it in any framework you want, and yet it holds true. So yeah, I mean I'm I'm hoping that we can do a little bit more of that. Mm-hmm. Well, I've noticed that another film you're doing right now is called Sarah's Cell. Um, mm-hmm. You play a character called uh, called Raha. I'm not yeah. sure if I'm saying that correctly. <laughs> um, what, what can you tell us about this movie? Uh, it's you know it's it's based on on real events, uh, slightly fictionalized. Uh, it's you know it deals with uh, you know the whole uh, what terrorism and and all of that based in Iraq uh, and that part of the world. Uh, I think it's going to be an exciting it's going to be an exciting uh, shoot restart in in July. Uh, and um, let's see. I think I think it's going to be interesting. Uh, I'm I'm kind of fortunate right now because there is a nice uh, variety of stuff that I'm uh, that's coming out. I have another movie called Torn coming out, which is an emotional drama, uh, which deals with two families uh, losing their teenage sons in, in in a mall explosion at a shopping center. Uh, and what happens when two people in the same family don't grieve the same way, when they're not partners in grief, what happened, uh, how it corrodes relationships, and then also the investigation uh, and uh, fingers being pointed at you know, different uh, people to be responsible for this explosion. So uh, I feel very fortunate that in the next few months there is... I go from Elysium playing the president to, you know, uh, to playing uh, somebody breaking out of a jail, to playing a, a father who has just lost his son. So it's, it's been a nice mix. Um, and we'll see how audiences, you know, react to, the, to all of this. But, you know, uh, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm feeling very uh, hopeful that all of it will, you know, will be taken with, well, it'll, it'll all be uh, successful. Well, I'll keep my fingers crossed for you there. I mean, I'm kind of looking forward to Escape Plan because I've always enjoyed um, a good action flick with uh, Arnie and, and Sylvester Stallone. Yeah, you will not be disappointed because it's, it's a lot of testosterone. It's a lot of guys just butting heads. Yep. <laughs> it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. I just got the idea that it's a, that it's a, that it's a prison movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then there hasn't been a really good prison break movie in a long time. So I'm hoping that this will, you know, it will fill that gap. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I'd like to thank you for taking time out to talk with me today. It's been been great having the opportunity to speak with you. You're most welcome. Thank you so much for having me on your show. Oh, you're very welcome. I, I really enjoyed speaking to you. And, you know, hopefully when you have more stuff come out in the next couple of years, maybe, maybe we can sort of like touch base again. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, well, thank you very much for your Bye. time. Bye. Bye. I need to get to Elysium. Whoever has this has the power to override their whole system. Hey, bring down the boom saw! This ain't gonna kill me. You can save everyone. We're gonna break into the most heavily guarded place in the universe. Oh, yeah.
Okay, I'd like to welcome to the show uh, James Hurth, who we've had on here before, um, when, when, when we uh, talked to him and his creative partner about race. And I'd also like to welcome um, Doug Stark. And we're going to be talking about a, a new a, a new show, which is sort of like it's just it's not long since being out on YouTube. It came out in December. Um, it's called Shining City, and it is kind of like a mystery. It's um, a science fiction mystery. It's really cool. It's uh, very similar to Lost. Um, so first of all, um, Doug, wh- wh- where did the idea for, for this come from? Oh, well, um, thanks for having me on the show, by the way. Um, it's a real pleasure. Uh, I, You know, there's this show idea. I come from the television world, and so I'm always, like, rooting around for ideas. And, you know, like probably every other writer in the world, I've got my trunk full of ideas, and I trot them out whenever I need them. But, um, you know, the, the idea for this, I think, you know, really came from shows like Lost, uh, you know, um, great sort of futuristic Philip K. Dick type of world where, you know, there's a world within a world within a world and the character is really trying to sort out what, what's going on. Uh, and especially the Matrix, I think, uh, was a, was a big influence. And so, you know, the, the basic idea was, you know, uh, a character waking up and, and beginning to realize that his world, his very comfortable world in the city he lives in is a complete lie. The, the, his family is not his family and he has a complete other life. Uh, that he's lived uh, outside uh, of this city. Um, and so, you know, I, I thought that emotionally it would be really interesting to play that. And, and you know, somebody, a character that has real feelings for this family that's around him, but realizing that that's not really his wife, that's not really his daughter. And, and how, would, how would somebody navigate that? How would you, would, would you believe it? Would you not believe it? Would you just put it aside and say, well, I must be crazy, or maybe it is real, but I like it anyway? So that that's kind of where it germinated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it it kind of struck me uh, from from the second viewing that um, it, it, you know, so it, it's kind it's kind of hard to describe, but it kind kind of you know, in some ways, it reminded me also a little bit of um, of oh god, what's the name of the show now? Um, Knife on Mars, but not not the rubbish American version where where it's oh, yeah, not the rubbish the American version. No, I know what you're saying. Yeah, Life on Mars. You're right. Yeah, that that. Um, that 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 was an interesting show. I, I'm I'm sorry that we uh, we American broadcasters had to screw that up because it really was an interesting show. Uh, there's also a movie called I think Dark City by by uh, filmmaker Proyas um, that has a lot of the kind of somewhat similar elements. You know, the world isn't the world, and I'm sort of drawn to those stories because I think that you know oftentimes I think all of us feel you know that there's. Um, a sense of escapism, like somehow we want to maybe get out of our own situation, but, you know, maybe we feel trapped or we don't know how or, um, so there, there's, I think it's a very common feeling and, and, you know, I thought it was a, something fruitful to explore. Um, and like I said, Phil K. Dick is a huge, um, um, influence on me. I really, I, I think he's, 
just a really weird and crazy and interesting uh, storyteller. Mm-hmm. It, it's kind of, it's kind of interesting because um, you know I'm re- I'm reading in the uh, original press release that uh that, that J- James sent me uh, back in back in December um, that you've also worked on Jag and Law and Order and it's kind of interesting um, in a way how do you kind of go from Jag and Law and Order which is sort of like so grounded you know kind of grounded in reality if you will. To, to something where where you're actually messing around with with several realities um, or, se- you know, or or several different perceived realities. Right. Well, there's there's a yeah there's a few things that are going on there. One is that you know my my work in television has pretty much been in kind of the mystery crime format. So you know it doesn't feel like it's a big leap for me to to write something that is maybe a futuristic mystery um, and and to have those layers uh, that that you know a character has to uncover the layers of what what is this world I'm living in and, and who are these characters that are around me um, so it actually felt kind of familiar um, you know the the, the the great thing about having worked uh, on a, a great show like Law and Order or Jag or some other shows that I've worked on is that TV, uh, the, the TV dramas really teach you economy in terms of storytelling. And not just, you know, uh, telling the story in the best way or telling the story in maybe the, the shortest, most impactful way, but also in a kind of practical sense. Like, you have to shoot this. You know, you actually have to, the scene that you wrote, somebody has to shoot. And so you have to be able to shoot within your budget, within your means. Do you, is your lead star out that day? Um, you know, what, what do you have available? And I think that this kind of, um, this kind of ethic, it really informed uh, the, the writing and production of Shining City. And it, and it kind of is the spirit, I think, of this whole do-it-yourself movement, which is just flourishing online. Um, and it really made me think about well, what do I have available? What can I do uh, to make this work? And that informed the storytelling. Um, so it made me, um, it made me really kind of think about setting the mystery and the story more about character rather than maybe special effects or, or you know, um, you know, any kind of uh, splatter effects or something that you know would cost more money. And so I guess you know that's kind of what the the whole independent film movement was about. And I think that's what it it, it kind of recharged my batteries in a way, moving from television into. Uh, Shining City and, and, and other um, projects like it. Mm-hmm. Uh, J- James, how did you become involved in this? Uh, well, uh, Doug and I are uh, both involved in a, uh, a highly athletic um, weekend softball game that uh, has from its uh, core the WGA, the Writers Guild um, group. And so we basically uh, play with a bunch of like-minded creative individuals and almost everybody is always working on a project here or there and uh, Doug came to me to talk about um, uh, post-production which is one of my areas of expertise and uh, and eventually um, I came on board and tried to help him as much as I could to realize his project and one, one of the things that like Doug was talking about production you have to be realistic um, when you're thinking about what shots you're going to be working with in your cut and your edit, you know, what, 
what is necessary to tell the story and when you're putting it together, what, what did we miss? What did we not get? And, uh, so it just, uh, evolved from there. And, uh, Doug was very uh, generous with, uh, you know, listening and taking other people's opinions and then evaluating if those things work for him or not. But he's, uh, good to collaborate with because, uh, he's very open to, to the people that he's working with. And, uh, and, you know, digesting those thoughts and deciding, um, you know, if they work or if they don't work for him. So it was, uh, it was a great experience. Mm-hmm. Was there anything during the creative process where you found yourself actually really fighting each other over? Uh, I, I, you know, for me, um, there's, it was nothing but uh, good. Um, I have had, as I'm sure Doug has had in his experience, a lot of heated things in the, in the past in other projects. But um, to me, especially when you have someone that has a creative vision like Doug did for this project where you actually, you just want to help manifest it. You want to figure out how best to make their project work. And, you know, sometimes you can make a suggestion that is not what somebody wants to do. And, you know, basically you go, oh, that's fine. You know, I understand because, you know, usually it comes with a reason. And uh, and then you go with you know the creative force that's uh, that's pushing through. Doug, did you find me to be uh, problematic? Or uh... I, well, I, w- I was going to say if if Jim didn't have much to bring to the table, then there probably would have been problems or issues. But there, honestly, there were none because uh, you know Jim brings a lot to the table. You know, it, it, though though his primary function uh, may have been uh, as an editor. He brought a lot to the table, and and it, it really, honestly, came together. I think in the editing room, uh, because you know, shooting this was—I um, don't want to say it was problematic, but there was some. You know, there was there was a we did have deadlines, and and we we had to you know get our shooting days in you know quickly, and so that meant. Um, that there had to be a lot of saves in the editing room, and but a lot of story direction as well in the editing room, and, and that's what that's what I think Jim uh, brought uh, brought the most. Really, was a sense of storytelling rather than you know uh, just technical expertise or just you know piecing shots together. And so you know that's what that's what makes. I think any successful creative endeavor is just having really talented people. I always feel like that for me, I would rather be in a room with people who are smarter than I am because A, I can learn a lot more and B, I don't feel like I have to have all the answers. Mm-hmm. And, and that's where, um, you know, that's where I've, I've been really lucky, like with a lot of projects that I've done and especially with this one is I've just been able to be in the room with people who are smarter than I am. So well, one one of the things I really enjoyed about Shining City, and um, I kind of enjoyed this aspect um, about Lost as well. Um, there's been a trend in science fiction on television um, over the last decade, possibly since X Files, where they've always sort of like portrayed the government as the good guys, you know, and and stuff like that. You know, it's like with V, you know, the, the remake of V, it was a government agent, whereas in the original V, it was everyday people that formed the resistance, and in in the, in the remake, it was a government agent and stuff like that. 
And what I found quite refreshing about Shining City is he's, he's, just, um, he's just an everyday working class guy. Or, or he, yes. he thinks he's an everyday working class guy. You know, he's, he's got a family, you know, he's, he's, he's paying a mortgage, he's running his own business. And, and, um, and you know, you, you get that right away. And I thought, yeah, at last. Some, yeah, actually... and, and that actually plays into the whole uh, kind of uh, the world of what's presented in Shining City. And, you know, my thought is that uh, if this whole city is a prison and that they're putting political prisoners and all kinds of prisoners into this city, they would probably want to give them very humdrum jobs and, and alter their minds slightly so that, you know, they're pretty pleased with their humdrum jobs and they can kind of live out their days uh, in this city and not cause any problem. And I think that was, that's part of it. You know, mm. that's part of uh, the thinking behind uh, this, this whole world. Sounds like a Republican's wet dream. <laughs> yeah, yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Actually, it sounds like a conservative's wet dream. You know, you know, you know so I'm, uh, enough said that about me, you know, so I'm, I'm not going to get political now. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I think that, I, my, my hope is that this world would be a departure point to be able to talk about about, you know, a lot of contemporary issues, uh, you know, the, the sort of most common uh, or obvious comparison would be Guantanamo, where the, you were just keeping these people forever for, you know, for what reason, uh, what, what's the legal basis, uh, which is under debate. And so I, I, I thought, well, let's have a prison full of people and maybe we're not quite sure why they're there. Uh, and there's maybe people inside the prison who are uh, have maybe woken up and are aware that they're inside this prison, but maybe they kind of like it. Maybe it's a pretty good deal, and they're not going to rock the boat. Uh, so, so I'm I'm hoping that you know there's enough um, of a world to be able to talk about a lot of contemporary issues and a lot of things that you know uh, we're we're facing nowadays. What what's the plan, kind of moving forward? Because I know that uh, Shining City is actually uh, just one project of potentially many uh, for, um, for 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 YouTube's for the, for the YouTube channel you've got. What I can't remember what it's called now off the top of my head. I think it's uh, it's sponsored by uh, ZoomTilt.com. Uh, so I, I I think you can either find it on you know YouTube uh, looking at Shining City or ZoomTilt.com. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but what, what's the uh, what's the plan moving forward um, with with, um, with Shining City? Because um, thus far, um, the, the, the first ten minutes that's actually up there. Yeah, I think um, what we're trying to do right now is uh, gather either one sponsor for multiple episodes or several sponsors uh, for each episode. And uh, I I have uh, I have several scripts written. And I think that um, the proposal is for 10 episodes to uh, have an actual season. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I have, I have an idea of kind of where I want to go with the season and how I want to, you know, finish off the season with, you know, a lovely cliffhanger um, and, and, and hopefully maybe, you know, further seasons ahead. There's also, um, you know, one of the great things about about doing a web series like this is it's really a great calling card for, 
you know, the larger networks, um, uh, Sci-Fi Channel or, or even one of the more traditional networks or FX. Um, and, and it, it really is a way to, for, for filmmakers to get their work out there, but also, you know, in a practical way, possibly sell it so that it can, it can be a, a, you know, bigger budget uh, you know, network series. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I do think, uh, Doug, like you were saying there, it, there is something about the DIY sort of philosophy that can manifest itself like this in a pilot for a, a web series, that that same web series pilot, that those 10 minutes, um, in addition to the scripts that, that Doug has written, um, provide a, uh, a proof of concept, basically, uh, to to a buyer, if it's on a network level, um, they can see what the show looks like, how it feels, um, the tone, um, and, and that's a lot more than you can get from a uh, a script page. Um, as much as you can, you know, create those worlds on a script page, um, there's something about going out there with camera and talented actors and shooting um, a section of that drama. Um, and so, you know, it, it's exciting to think that Zoom Tilt is, is, is looking to, uh, potentially make, make this happen as a web series, um, and, uh, and that there are many other platforms that it can be, um, taken to as well. Mm-hmm. Another thing it put me in mind of was, a was an old 1960s show. I think it was, uh, produced by Quinn Martin. Uh, I think it was called Invaders with, I think it was Roy Finns, who was the star of that. And oh, okay. He, he sort of like, um, it kind of, you know, he, I'm not, not sure how many series it ran for. But basically, this um, he's an architect, and uh, he's seen a he's seen a UFO, and he sort of like learns that this is, that 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 the, that the aliens are actually among us, and the only way he can tell the difference between one of these aliens and one of us is the fact that they're you know they can't make a fist. They can't make a fist. They can't make a proper fist. Their little finger starts <laughs> that sticks out. <laughs> and, I I wonder if they pitched the show that way. Um, that, that is interesting. That which. You know, Ian, that, that reminds me in turn of, of They Live, um, in terms of They yeah. Live Among Us. Right. Um, a kind of thing that only a very small group of, of people know that this is going on. I think that's one of the things that's really intriguing. Um, you really hit on that point is, is the, the schism, the, where someone's mind um, uh, is seeing that, that things maybe aren't what they appear to be. Um, that they see a crack in, in the veneer of this prison and the mind, uh, the mind control that's being put on it. Um, and it's like, can you convince others who, who is your friend? Who is your enemy? Right. Um, right. It's really a, a sort of a paranoid sort of, uh, vibe, um, that, that's exciting to think because Doug, like you said, and Ian, you said as well, it's like it, the everyman is in the middle of it. And certainly a viewer can project themselves as saying, uh, look around myself. Am I in that same world? You know, am I possibly in a world like that? That's uh, very identifiable. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like a day in my life. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are watching you. Ian. Yeah. We are watching. Well, you. we're, we're, we're being, back. We're, we're being watched now more than ever with all the surveillance around here. I'm telling you. But it's funny, I mean, you know, you, you worked on a show called Jag, which is um, an, another show that I absolutely adored. I loved Jag. Um, you know, there's a funny story about Jag here in the UK. It kind of like it kind of skipped around on three different networks. 
So I I, um, I only really finished watching the Homer Jack um, about a year or two ago. Oh wow! Because wow. they they moved it across four or five different cable channels. It started off on Sky One, and then they they ran like the first maybe three four seasons. Then it moved to a channel called Hallmark, and then uh-huh. it, then it moved to um then it moved to our version of the Fox Channel, and that's where it finished up. But wow. the trouble was, um, my cable company didn't carry the Fox Channel when it moved. So of course, uh, so you to, weren't able to finish up. Nah, so I had to. I had to finish up Mader once, once, once Fox became available. And you know, so it's um, it was it was a little bit. Uh, it, that, that was a weird way of watching all ten seasons of Jack. Well, they, uh, they, they, um, the Law and Order was uh, franchised out, if you will, and that they made uh, a Law and Order UK. Yeah, I, I, I tend to find Law and Order, and um, you know, forgive me for saying it's just not my thing. Yeah, you know, it's, it's a little bit too um, formal. It's it's a very formulaic show, you know. You 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 know that at halfway through the show, that if they've arrested somebody, that's probably not the guy. Yep. <laughs> Um, Doug, do, do you they they, uh, they take stories from the U.S. versions, right? So you've you've essentially had a story credit on on Law and Order UK, is that right? Yes, yes, from from an original uh, U.S. version that was produced. So interesting how they uh, they take that and adapt that for a new setting, and, and I guess to some extent a, a new era. Yeah, and you know, it's just like uh, it, it, it's very much um, a, a TV thing to. You know, use what you've got. You know, use everything that you've got. And and uh, uh, you know, it's it, again that that kind of that sort of storytelling and that ethos and and that model, I think, is is very attractive in many ways. I think, especially for people who are you know do it yourself or independent filmmakers, uh, I think uh, many of them. Uh, are right at home or would be right at home in the television universe because oftentimes it's, hey, we have an idea, let's write it, let's shoot it, let's edit it, let's get it out there, you know, and uh, they use whatever they've got. It's a really, in the best environment, um, you know, a, a, a staff crew experience, it's a really great environment to be in. Mm. Well, one of the things I loved about Jag was the, um, you know, it was a different slant on the um, on, on the law because it was actually military law. So, so like it was, um, it's a little bit different, and I also like the fact that the uh, that the main character Ham and Rab was also also a fighter pilot. So you know, right. and it's funny because one of the only descriptions in a UK magazine for Jag was sort of like Top Gun meets a few good men meets. Um, uh, they put in a science fiction reference because they had one episode where 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 they thought they were seeing UFOs or, or something in the very in the very very first season. Oh. But, you know, wow. I don't think it lasted, but it was Top Gun versus, you know, Top Gun and a few good men. And um, there was an episode um, in it where Rab asked to rescue um, a fighter pilot. And um, what what he does, because one of, their, one of the engines is out in the other plane, is he sort of like flies under and, and sort of like gets his wingspan. So it's just under the other plane's wingspan and kind of like... Um, Flies the other pilot in to the to the um, to the to the aircraft carrier, um, and it came up at the end of the episode that's you know, that a pilot actually actually did that. Oh, in um, real life. In real life. Wow. Um, you know, help help the other pilot land the plane because their in, their their engine was out and they were sort of like coming down. 
And I just found that really, you know, I kind of like that sort of thing um, when when they do that in in a TV show. And um, I think it was was it was it Dom Belisarius? Ah, uh, the guy, yes, Dom yeah. Belisarius, yes. Yeah. Well, um, I, I think I think he sort of like um, was a bit of a stud, you know. I think he studied military history or something, or was in, Yeah, you know, he was. Uh, I believe he was a former marine. Yeah. Well, so that, he uh, he has a military background. That, that's that's what I thought because uh, he also did. Uh, um, he also worked on the uh, 1970s version of Battlestar Galactica, the original Battlestar Galactica. And uh, do, do, I believe that's correct, yes. And, and Quantum Leap as well. Well, yeah, Quantum Leap is, you know, brilliant job. But on Battlestar Galactica, they did an episode, I think it was in the, uh, actually it was in the, in the um, it was actually in the very first pilot episode, where um, Apollo goes into this sort of like a uh, part of space where, you know, their, their scanners are not, not going to be very good. So, you know, what they, what they do is they use, they, they sort of like use a military, kind of military thing of sort of like uh, flying in front of each other and you know so so they're so like that they're, they're marking where, where they were from from their last last position sort of thing and right. they, they did that in in a in in the very first episode of the original Battlestar Galactica I thought that's really cool because uh-huh. it, it's interesting when when a writer has a, a background in something whether it's you know, people that have been doctors or lawyers or, uh, you know, in law enforcement or the military, and they could take those experiences and uh, transfer them to to a different environment, like a science fiction environment. Um, and then it really has a sort of, uh, it, it lends a, a reality to, you know, a, a different world. I think that's really cool to be able to transfer that because just it feels real. Mm-hmm. Well, that, that, that that's kind that's kind of stuff I liked, you know, you know about about those shows. Um, and I, I just, um, you know, also a few good men. It's one of my favorite movies. Oh yeah. Yeah, I've got yeah. I've got got it on DVD. Um, and you know, the, the, there's been quite a few films that have been made that have involved the uh, the you know the Jack Corps, but I think I think a few good men was sort of like the one like like the biggest one in recent memory to be honest yeah yeah and it's it's just um i find that more interested more interesting than song like a uh, domestic uh civilian law if, if you know what i mean right yeah yeah it, it really uh it, it it makes it um uh it, it constrains you know some of what you can do but that actually makes it more interesting in many ways um so as a writer what what would you say what shows would you say in inspired you to want to go into writing television oh my gosh i mean just so many um so many great kind of one-hour dramas i mean going all the way back to hill street blues when i was a kid you know i thought that was a real big a real big kind of eye-opener for me in terms of storytelling um you know i uh, i loved uh, west wing uh, just the idea that you could tell compelling stories um pretty much with people talking in a room I thought mm-hmm. that was just amazing. And then, of course, you know, ER, some of the classic, just classic um, uh, shows. I think one of my all-time favorites is uh, Homicide, Life on the Street. Um, that show opened up so much for me because it wasn't just formulaic. You had, you had your, your characters from week to week. But you never knew exactly what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. And it was so unpredictable. And it had such great characters that you were just compelled to tune in every week. Uh, that was one of my big, big shows. Uh, I, would, I would have loved 
to have created Homicide Life on the Street. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember. I'm, I remember Hill Street Blues. Uh, you know, back, back in back in day. I think it was the same same right producer that went on to do um, L.A. Law. Yes, that's right. Yeah, that that was a, that was a terrible mistake, really. <laughs> <laughs> Going on to do L.A. Law. <laughs> A lot of great writers came out of that, came out of Hill Street Blues. David Milch, uh, the, the guy I worked for, Law & Order, Dick Wolf, he came out of Hill Street Blues. Uh, you know, of course, Botsko created it, and he's created a lot of great shows. Um, so it, it's, it really spawned a lot of great television. Mm. It, it is interesting. It was, it was a very, uh, a very gritty, I think I would say, for the time. You know, it's like... Uh, you know, everything was a little grimy and they were, you know, in the, in the, you know, the grungier part of the city and, uh, and, and they killed off people. Yeah. And, uh, that was, uh, that was a big thing for me, you know, to see some of your main characters, you know, uh, get, ki- Ed, uh, Molinaro, I think his name is. I just remember going, what, what, what is happening? How can this be happening? Right. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it really, uh, it really was interesting in that way, and, and introduced a lot of people like myself to something that was heavy, but yet compelling. You know, you were interested, even though you know I'm, I was a little young. You know, it, it still had the kind of uh, characters and interaction that really, I don't know, just it, it kept you uh, riveted. It was also um, a period in television where you know the producers were not afraid to have um, a much older character on, on on the screen every week. Right. Whereas, on like, right. uh, if you watch Jericho, you got the you got the uh, parents of, of of the family. By the end of the second season, those parents are gone, and it's all ah. the younger characters. And uh-huh. yeah. you know, it just seems to me that um, you know a lot of Hollywood productions now kind of you know, with the exception of um, you know, with the exception of Law and Order, because there's quite a few older you know characters in 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 Law and Order. Um, but in you know, throughout most of the most of the trendy shows, you you don't really you know. It's very rare you see anyone under the age of 30. Yeah. Over yeah, the age of true. 30. And it's, it's uh, true. I mean, because, you know, they're trying to appeal to um, uh, a, a, a more uh, easily influenced demographic. And so if you're, if you're trying to reach out to, you know, the over 40 crowd, well, they've already decided what toothpaste they want to buy. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's too late for them. Unless you're Betty White. Unless you're Betty White. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm only just over 40. I'm not not too much over 40. And, uh, you know, I I change my toothpaste every now and again. Oh, well, there you you go. Because I get bored. You are at the forefront of a new new generation of (laughs) 40-year-olds. But I I, I just sort of like, uh, I miss the days where you can put a TV show on that science fiction and fantasy orientated. And you've got a couple of curmudgeonly old geezers as as, as characters. Well, you know, I think this is one of the, this is the beauty of some of this do-it-yourself movement, which is, you know, I, I, I was kind of thinking that the, the cable networks would provide a lot of niche programming, and they do. There's a, there's a huge amount of stuff on cable networks and pay cable, uh, and, and, you know, even traditional networks, I think they see the writing on the wall and they're willing to try new things. Um, but it seems to me that the the great programming that you can find that speaks to you and to your interests specifically 
you can find online. There's so many just amazing programs um, that, you know, uh, web series and, and lots of other content that's out there. And it you can really find the stuff that interests you, that really speaks to what you like. And you can find it. Yeah, yeah I, I found quite a bit of it, um, actually. I mean, I, I've, I've actually, um, I was actually a producer on a web series. Oh, which one? Um, it's called Reality on Demand. Oh wow! Um, Is it was it a, a reality show or was it a scripted? Or? It's it's a scripted it's a scripted drama, or so it's kind of like uh, veering more towards comedy a little bit. Uh-huh. Um, we we um, you know Marts who wrote it, Marts and his wife who wrote it. They they were sort of like riffing on things um, for the first ep- for the first uh, season. Anyway, they're kind of like riffing on things such as Supernatural and Buffy uh, sort mm-hmm. of thing. And the uh, premise is um, you got four people from different walks of life. One one's a wannabe sort of like a pop singer, reality TV star. Um, the other one's sort of like a former marine. Yeah, the the other one's a computer geek that does that needs to get out more. And uh, the 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 other one is sort of like a journalist. She's kind of like a reporter and writer. And these four different people um, enter into a new game show. It's a new TV game show called reality on demand and it's a virtual reality game show in which it sort of like inserts them into specific tv shows and i think the premises uh, of the actual game show is they've got to actually guess what the tv show is but unfortunately uh, it goes wrong <laughs> and and um, you know so sort of like uh, it goes wrong and it becomes you know much more real than, than it should uh-huh. be sort of thing and and they become trapped in this system and you know in order to demonstrate the concepts in the first in the in the first 10 minutes we actually uh have them you know thrown into the middle of a hospital drama and then we right. thro- then we throw them into a silent movie then we throw them into a 70s porn movie with a twist because there was there was no seven there was no porn in it and what, what we did is we, we 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 did a bit of a twist on it where we had them sort of like um hung around like like a 1970s shack you know passing around passing around a spliff or something and they'd order pizza and the pizza delivery man comes in and sort of like jumps on them <laughs> that, <laughs> that, that is vital is the pizza man pizza and man. uh mustaches and and pizza man or a pool guy yeah or you're good how yeah. many uh, how many episodes did you guys uh, put together? Um, we 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 put together one season consisting of um, of six episodes, all um, varying lengths. I think the shortest one's about three minutes, and all the others are like between so like ten and fifteen minutes. And okay. um, he actually won an award at NA Web, NA Web Fest this, this, this weekend. Oh, well, that's congratulations. And, yeah, that's fantastic. And he also won, won an award at the um, at, at, at Web Series thing uh, last year. And um, it's, it's even available. It's actually, it's actually been dubbed into, uh, into Spanish uh, for a Mexican... You know, it's actually been subtitled in Spanish for, uh, for, wow. the, for the Mexican transit system. You sound like you're ahead of the game there. You're getting international exposure. Yeah, a, nice. a little bit, you know. So, I'm, but I saw down some arts who's doing all the deals and stuff like that. Um, all I really did for it, to be honest, is I I consulted on the script and uh, you know gave gave my input on the various different drafts of the script and um, I I kind of helped promote it. We use my my website as a means of promoting it as well as a, as well as a podcast and and um, you know. And and that 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 was pretty much the the be all and end all of my involvement. Mm. Is it something that you you know? Are you do you find yourself now 
with the bug of saying, well, I can see that you can do this. This can be done. Like Doug was saying, it's like, what do I have available to me? And then how can I make that, uh, make the most of those resources? Do you see yourself doing more in the future? Well, um, I'm going to be helping out in the second season. Um, okay. But I, I, I wasn't actually, I didn't actually fly out there and to be involved. It was actually all filmed in Midwest. Okay. Um, so everything I did was actually from here in the UK. Right. Um, I, you know, I'd probably feel, you know, have a sense of having the bug a little bit more so if I, if I was actually able to be there, you know, on the set. Right. Um, you know, yeah. w- watching watching how everything works and how everything goes down and just just observing. You know, right. it, it's interesting though. That's that's uh, another thing about the digital age, if you will, is that you can be hands on with something, intimately involved. Um, and not even be in the same, uh, you know, the same city or, in, in this case, the same country. Um, it's really amazing how you can get pieces in various places and put them together, and they all just fly through uh, the Internet from one place to another until they're a, a completed project, and then, you know, it can be seen by anybody worldwide. It, mm-hmm. It's wild. Well, you know, it, it, it's it, it's funny the way 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 this is all, all happened. We released uh, we released Reality in Demand. Uh, I think it was March of last year, mm-hmm. and um, I think I think we did it. We released it on. Uh, well, I think it's available on Coldcast TV and um, a few of the other internet uh, networks. Um, we were considering putting it on YouTube. We've got, I think, we've got a couple of episodes on YouTube, but Marx doesn't really like YouTube because you know it, you know, it download, it kind of downgrades the picture resolution. Okay. And and he, he shot it in HD. He shot it with the most expensive camera he could afford to get at the time. Right. Um, but we're thinking of a, we're thinking of holding a Kickstarter campaign in order to uh, raise funds for season two because season right. se- season one was sh- like shot on shot on a very 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 very, very very tight budget. <laughs> yes, as, as most uh, as most web series uh, find themselves with those kinds of budgets, uh, Kickstarter is is an amazing thing uh, for for you know newcomers to production, not necessarily newcomers you know to to creating entertainment. Yeah. Um, though uh, certainly somebody like uh, uh, Veronica Mars is uh, bullying their way. Uh, into uh, the spotlight there, uh, and and from what I understand, uh, of Kickstarter and Indiegogo and the crowdfunding uh, sites, the best way to attract any funding is to have something to show. You have, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's a pilot or a sizzle reel or a teaser or something to show so that people can get a real sense of what they're investing in. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, we've got, we've got a whole season of episodes we can actually put yeah, there. That's great. Um, so, um, you know, I, I don't know how far Marx is into the second season because he's got lots of other projects as well. Uh, Marx also hosts a show on the, uh, on, on, on the Sci-Fi Pulse Radio uh, network as well. He's got a show called Genretainment, which uh, usually airs every Tuesday. Um, and uh, my my shows every Friday, so um, we 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 have been working pretty closely together for the past you know eighteen months, I say, on on various different projects. Yeah, so I mean, cheer each other on. It is interesting that, that you know you work with people, and then you find out that you have certain common interests, and uh, you each bring something to the party that maybe the other person doesn't have. So it's great to have a collaborator. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. I think that I think that's, that's the difference between, say, the novelist and, you know, uh, 
you know, people who make TV and films and web series. Mm -hmm. James, got one more question for you, actually, you know, because you've gone from editing Race, which was an animation, and, uh, you know, what was it like from you going from editing an animation back into editing a feature? Uh, Well, I'll tell you, it's interesting. You know, um, I don't know how many people are familiar with the way, you know, animation is created, but but generally speaking, you have uh, shots. You get the shots... Uh, in front of you, there are no multiple angles from which to choose, no multiple takes from which to choose. You're largely um, doing things for rhythm and timing and maybe rearranging some things. So it was it was interesting to get back into um, an editing process where you had multiple uh, versions and and you had... Uh, uh, the director, Doug, would, would give me suggestions of, uh, this was one of the better takes, this is not so good take, better at the end, not at the beginning. And you would riff off of that, and in a conversation, you might have uh, a scene that's 30 seconds, and you might use four different takes in in that back and forth. Um, there's a lot more, in my opinion, there's a lot more evaluating of the value of performance and lighting, it's like, okay, this was a great performance, but um, it was soft focus. Um, this was perfectly sharp, but, um, you know, a, a siren went off in the background. It, it's, a, it's a very interesting thing. I actually really liked it a lot. It was, uh, it was just a, a more challenging experience, you know. Um, and uh, I get caught up in trying to put things together and make them play as well as I can imagine them playing. And so, you know, it's a challenge that's rewarding, you know. So it was a, it was a transition, but a good one. I, I thought I'd ask you that one because, you know, um, up until this, the only thing I'd really known you for was race because that, that yeah. was what we, you know, what, what you and I had actually talked about a couple of years back when, when, when you did that. How is it doing anyway on DVD? Is it um, done okay? We, uh, the DVD has, has gone okay. I think uh, we've had a lot more success with um on cable in the states on showtime uh it was on for a couple of years uh on and showtime has several different uh genre channels showtime beyond and showtime extreme and uh and it would be on you know four or five times a month and uh it was very exciting to uh to hear about people catching it and as well as just be flipping through your channels you know going trying to decide what you're going to watch or record Mm-hmm. And and to see you know your own movie come up there, and uh, like oh hey that's me we did that um, it's it's a funny thing to come across um, and then for us uh, we have now in the last year been developing it as a uh, a series version of the show and putting together a promotional um, something that we call a sizzle reel that Doug had mentioned uh, that kind of project where you you basically just try and uh, promote and say what's great and exciting about your project. And uh, the hope is then to take a uh, race into uh, a weekly a weekly show for television. So that's uh, that's where we're trying to head with that. Well, you know, I hope it does get made because um, like, um, I, I enjoyed the film. And, uh, you know, as I said in the email to you a couple months ago, um, I actually sat my niece down in front of it because I was, I was looking oh. after my niece and uh, she was a little bored because I was kind of like working on the computer being a boring adult. 
so I, I put Race on for a song like, um, and all of a sudden she was watching it and kind of getting into it, um, which was quite surprising because she's she's sort of like a, kind of prone to be more girl, girl uh-huh. girly girl than tomboyish, but she really enjoyed it. And that, that, I love to hear stuff like that. And, and as, that. as she was getting into it, I, I, I just found myself suddenly stopping work on the computer and I was just sort of like skiving off and watching it, you know. So. Uh, you have been a, a huge supporter, um, and so uh, we thank you uh, for for being there for us. And uh, the idea that you're still, uh, you know, upon multiple viewings, still things catching your eye and getting you excited is... Uh, is a thrill. Is a thrill. Well, I've still got the uh, I've still got the German DVD cover and back thing that you sent me. Yeah, it's uh, it is great. That that's the other thing. You know, we talk about uh, Doug's Law and Order being made as a Law and Order UK, being uh, being adapted there. But to see um, you know the various covers of our DVDs in Germany and the Czech Republic and Russia um, and Brazil. Uh, it's just hilarious to see, you know, the the different writing and the different alphabets and uh, and the and the subtitles. It's, it's just funny to see it uh, come alive in another language. That's awesome. It's really weird, but weird and wonderful is what I call that. <laughs> you know, I'm just thinking if you um, if you get um, Shining City up and running off the ground, you could actually later on in the series you could actually do a could actually do an episode where every single one of the cast member is a puppet or something. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like an episode of Community. <laughs> or, or um, you know, Shining City, the musical. The yeah. musical, yeah, yeah. Well, Doug and I were talking before uh, before the interview started and how, you know, when you think of an idea as a creator these days, it is actually hugely important to think of multiple platforms for your project. You know, can it be... A musical, you know, can it be uh, a web series? Can it be a, a traditional series? Can it be a feature uh, or a graphic novel? It's, uh, you know, we laugh, but, you know, I don't know, Catch Me If You Can is like on Broadway now. It's like mm-hmm. there's, you just never know where, what that idea, that, that seed of that idea can germinate into. And certainly people that are going to finance it. Um, would like to know exactly how many different ways they can make money. Yeah, exactly. Um, anyway, guys, um, it's been great speaking to you. Oh, it's been it's been a lot of fun. Thank you for having us uh, on your podcast. Yes, thank you so much. Appreciate uh, you know, it's very exciting to be able to get uh, the word out about a project and to talk about it. And uh, you know, Shining City is uh, is something that uh, I'm very proud to have been part of, and I'm glad that. Uh, Doug's fertile mind there came up with it and uh, there was something to work on there. But again, it's been great having you on the show and um, uh, you thanks know, a lot. You, you're always welcome to come back on. Um, oh, thank you so much. Anytime. All right, thanks, Ian. Robot lizard, but with horn rimmed glasses and a pocket protector. Huh, that's nerdy. We're on the rampage, laying waste to the geek landscape. We'll talk movies, TV, comics, toys, video games, and sometimes we talk turkey. Don't you mean chicken? <laughs> that's right. So check us out at megapodzilla.com. We're also available on iTunes and the Zoom Marketplace. Aw, yeah. <laughs> 
thanks again for listening to another exciting sh- show. Um, we'll be back with you uh, next week. Um, and also uh, next week, um, hopefully we'll have um, a new exciting episode of uh, Jean Retainment on, on Tuesday. So basically keep an eye out for that. Um, we, we'll be endeavouring to bring you, you know, both shows um, every week. Um, and um, I can tell you now that we have quite a few exciting things lined up for SFP now in the coming weeks. So uh, stay tuned. And that's it for now. So bye-bye. the world order.